welcome to the Passion Fit Coaching podcast. This podcast is hosted by my husband, Tom Ward, and it is produced and directed by professional athlete Lydia Dant. Tom is our Passion Fit Coaching strategy... No, what are you again? What are you you actually? Coaching strategy creator. So whilst we're trying to figure out the finer details of what Tom's title really means, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode six of the Passion Fit Coaching Podcast. You've probably just had Lauren's intro and maybe a little bit of intro music this week if 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 Lydia worked it out. I don't know if she worked it out until I listened to this back myself. So at this point, I'm not too sure. So hopefully she has. It's my birthday today. Happy so... birthday. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. <laughs> um, so hopefully I don't talk too quickly. I, I noticed I listened to myself back last week talking about our workshops I realised as I got more excited I, I was talked... going to say why are you talking more quickly on your birthday is it because you're older and you'll no. just forget stuff so you have to say it quickly before it's gone Could out of your head <laughs> but um, no the reason I'm talking more quickly on my birthday is because I've eaten a lot of cake um, and <laughs> I may be a little bit dosed up on sugar so we'll see how we go um, I'll try and make sure it's not too fast so what are we talking about today Liz or what am I talking about today so today you're going to talk about the other three Behaviours. So we introduced goal setting last week. Yeah. So we said that there were four behaviours. Yeah. And I think today would be a good one to introduce the other three. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about, like I said, passion fit. We've talked a little bit about some of our, our sort of ideology, philosophy and history. And I, I don't think it was the last podcast, but one of the previous podcasts, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked specifically about goal setting. And goal setting is the first of the four core behaviours that we use to develop our coaches, um, teams, groups, whatever, whoever it is we're working with. Um, we have four core accomplishment behaviours, we call them accomplishment behaviours, and two coachability behaviours that we work with everybody on. There are other subsidiary behaviours we work on as well, but those are the, 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 the really important ones, the ones that if they're present, people will have a great chance of unlocking a high level of, of their potential. And we talked a little bit about what we meant by potential, uh, again, a couple of podcasts ago. I can't remember which one, but we talked a little bit about that. So what we're going to do today is introduce you to the three other core accomplishment behaviours. And then in the next podcast, or maybe in a couple of podcast time, we'll talk to you a little bit about coachability. So the reason we started with goal setting is because any journey really starts with goals. If you don't have goals, then it can be difficult to you know, have a, a journey that, or a pathway that you feel is meaningful and purposeful. And so that's why we started with goal setting and introduced you to our slightly unique way of, of, of setting goals. But the three other behaviours that we encourage athletes to develop are pretty simple. They're behaviours that you'll almost certainly be familiar with already. But that's kind of the point. The point is that sometimes the simplest things are the things that are really effective. Now, I haven't just pulled these behaviours out of my backside and I haven't invented any of them. But what I believe and what we believe at Passion Fit is that we see these behaviours demonstrated consistently and sustainably by people that do unlock high levels of their potential. So through my life in coaching, whether it be in the corporate environment, or the sporting environment, what I've seen is that these are the behaviours that are present 
in individuals that consistently unlock high levels of their potential. So goal setting was obviously the first and these are the other three. So the next one after goal setting is what we call your commitment level or your commitment continuum placement. Now that obviously sounds very simple, but it's possibly not as simple as people think because people do struggle with this. People really do struggle with sustained commitment, sustained motivation. And the commitment continuum is broken down into to, to, to states, to various steps, various levels. So at the bottom of the scale, you've got resistant. So people that are resistant are not bought in at all. So if you've got teenage children or an untrained dog um, or just a trained dog, if it's my dog, um, then sometimes they can be resistant. So, for example, my dog is not bought into anything that doesn't involve a treat or a ball. Uh, so uh, resistant is the first, is the bottom of the commitment continuum scale. The next is reluctant. People who will wait and see. <laughs> so again, <laughs> my dog's a good example for these, isn't he? Logan is. Um, you can tell Logan you've got a treat, but until he sees the treats... <laughs> <laughs> he isn't going to move. Um, so, um, but you've got, you'll have all have worked with people like that. People who maybe you introduce an idea to, but they maybe want a little bit of validation from others before they'll give, you know, they'll commit to that idea or that they'll work towards it. So reluctant people are waiting to see what happens. Then that's the next step. That's the next step up in the scale of levels of commitment. Then you've got existent. So people that are going through the motions, people that are uh, a box ticking, I guess. So, you know, again, we might find that we we do this in our training programs. We we do the session, but we don't really do it with purpose. Um, swimming is a good example. Swimming drills is a good example of this one. You know, we do the drills, but we don't really do it with purpose. We don't then apply it to actual swim. We just do the drills. We tick the box. We say we've done it. Um, and... Um, we haven't uh, necessarily got the value from it. So we're kind of going through the motions. Sometimes that might be where we're at, you know, and, so, and sometimes I wouldn't say that resistant or reluctant are very value adding stages in the journey, but um, certainly existence sometimes might have to be all that you, you accept because we all have bad days. And on those bad days, it might be that, you know, we, we do just need to show up um, and uh, we have to accept that. We wouldn't want that to be our permanent state of placement, but um, it's certainly something we might have to consider at times being sufficient. Then we've got compliant. So people who are externally motivated is a good way of describing compliance. So people will do what they're told. Now this can work quite effectively if the person doing the telling knows what they're doing and can make an effective judgment about the individual. Um, it's not the perfect place for us to be, but it's, if it's the bottom of your commitment level at any point in time, it's not too bad. You know, it's not too bad. In fact, some environments work very well with a kind of tell-do structure. Um, I've never been in the military, but the military, I guess, is kind of structured around that. You know, your people are used to following orders and, and it, works, it works effectively, you know. Um, so if done, done well and done appropriately. So compliant is, is people that are externally motivated. Um, again, my dog is a good example. Um, he is he's compliant when there's a reward for him, so he's externally motivated by treats. Then you've got committed. 
so people that will uh, the people that are internally motivated um so maybe people that will you know go the extra mile um you probably don't need to tell them what to do you don't need to um hold them to account they'll hold themselves to account so people that are committed that's obviously a great place for people to be if that's your baseline if that's where you can consistently function that's a cracking place for you to be but then you've got the next step which is the step we want to really strive towards which is compelled so someone that will always find a way to do what needs to be done someone that will always find a way now of course the compelled also comes with a bit of a health warning a bit of a red flag and risk and we'll, we'll cover that in just a second but those are your steps in the commitment continuum resistant Reluctant, existent, compliant, committed, and compelled. And what we tend to work on with our athletes or our coaches is that if they can't, don't find themselves consistently enough in committed or compelled, then we go back to the goal. And that's the really important piece. It isn't enough to just give yourself a kick up the arse or ask someone to do that for you. It's about um, you finding a goal, a set of goals, that allow you to stay in that place. And that's what's really important to us as coaches. So for example, we don't ask our athletes to necessarily have aspirational goals or goals that they think other people should have. You know, we want our athletes to have goals that keep them motivated, keep them compelled, and don't you know, cause them to lose motivation. Okay, we talked about potential, not just being um, what you can do and your inherent ability. So you might have the time, for example, to be a, a world-class athlete. You might have the, the physiology to be a world-class athlete or a professional athlete, but you might not want to do it. It might not be that important to you, and that's okay. And in passion, we don't mind. Of course, one of the most demotivating things can be when you've got talent, uh, other people can see, and other people put you under pressure to unlock it because they then use the phrase things like, oh, well, you're wasted talent. You know, how unfair is that, that people say that to you because just because you've got the ability to do something doesn't mean that you should do it. Um, and just and, and not wanting to do it doesn't mean that you're wasting the talent at all. So just because somebody else would want that talent doesn't mean that they have a right to put you under pressure to do more with it. So it's, it's important to get those goals right so you stay in the right place on the commitment continuum. And this is really important to us at Passion Fit. We work really hard with our athletes on constantly adjusting and evolving those goals over time and aligning them with their life and professional goals to make sure that they stay in the right place um, and not just in their athletic journey but across all three aspects of their life we don't want them to have you know a low level of commitment to things that are going on in their personal professional life because they've got the balance wrong it's really important that they get that right so that's the the next behavior now as i said there is a bit of a health warning with this and a red flag potentially which is very often, no, no, not very often, that's probably the wrong way of putting it, but there's a very fine line between being compelled and being obsessed. And this is the one that's really important. Some people who think they're compelled are actually obsessed. And this is dangerous. Being obsessed is as dangerous, if not more dangerous than being resistant. Because obsession can lead to very, very destructive behaviour patterns, destructive for you and destructive for others. So it can lead to, you know, for athletes, it can lead to sickness, injury, chronic fatigue, that kind of thing. Um, it could, you know, in life, um, it can lead to you treating people quite badly. You know, if you're obsessed about how you progress your career, you can end up becoming 
um, quite ruthless in a way that damage is damaging to other people. Um, in your personal life, if you're obsessive about certain things, your behaviours can become, again, damaging to you or to others because you don't find the right balance and stuff. You might, again, you might not treat people or yourself the way that you should. You know, knowing when to relax, for example, is a really important behaviour that compel people get right, but obsessed people don't. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bullshit you. I sit right on the, the line here. And at times I get it wrong. You know, at times I get it wrong. I think, Liz, you'd probably say that that's similar for you as well. Yeah. 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 It's that phrase, knowing when to stop before you get stopped. Yeah, which is a great phrase that you use. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, what compel people do well, obsessed people don't do so well. And of course, obsession is driven by other things. And we'll talk about those maybe in other, on other days. In fact, actually, um, I'd like to signpost you to a, a, a YouTube video by a guy called Alan Watkins, where he talks about something called the inner state model. Um, and it's a fascinating model, um, and it, it, it can demonstrate how it, certain types of people can end up in an obsessed place, um, driven by their emotions and environment and stuff like that. Anyway, whereas Lauren, for example, very rarely falls into a, into the category of being obsessed. Um, and if you've met Lauren, <laughs> you'll you'll know you'll you'll recognise how balanced she is um, because she doesn't fall into that that place. Um, Lauren would often will often say that she's lower down the commitment continuum on certain things, but I don't know whether or not it's more that she's just got her goals better aligned than the rest of us and sits in a more, you know, she sits sits on a pathway that's just more uh, more realistic around what she can actually achieve in life, and she has more balance around what she can do for other people than perhaps um, you know I I managed to find. So. Um, yeah, it's really important that you don't fall into that place because those behaviours can be quite, you know, quite, quite damaging. So obsessed is something you want to avoid. So there we go. So that's commitment continuum, commitment level, commitment placement. And that's how that links into, you can hear how that links into goal setting. And that is a, that is a concept that we discuss regularly with our coaches. And getting that right is really important on an accomplished and high functioning journey. Okay, so did I explain that well enough, Lids? Yeah, that makes Oh, that makes sense to me. Cool. Um, All right. You already, you already know it. I so. already know it does help. <laughs> and it's but written on the board in front of you. It is. But listening, listening to it, it still makes sense. Okay, like. cool. Excellent. Superb. So let's move on to uh, the next one then. So the next behaviour, the third core accomplishment behaviour in the passion fit world is controlling the controllables. Now, of course, we've all heard this loads of times. Um, some I know that some life coaches don't like the phrase controlling the controllables because they say, well, you know, some things you can't control. Well, it's kind of the point, isn't it? Those things you don't worry about. Um, but they're saying, well, some things you can only only influence. And I, I think the phrase that, you know, this is semantics really now, isn't it? You know, you're splitting hair over the words you use. So controlling the controllables or influencing the influenceable things. So control the things you can control and influence the things you can influence. And then the other things try not to worry about them too much. Because unfortunately, in a lot of the things that we worry about that aren't controllable, or things that we don't have any influence over, often don't end up becoming a problem for us anyway. We create more of a problem in our heads than actually is the reality. Um, and again, I, I definitely sometimes fall into that category. Um, so controlling the controllables, but making sure that the things you can get on top of are controlled. So there are really simple examples of this. You know. Sleep is a really hot topic at the moment, quite rightly so. The amount of sleep that we have, you know, I grew up in a in a generation where 
lack of sleep was something that was glorified. It was like a badge, you know, badge of honour, how little sleep you could get and still get through the day. <laughs> and really was. And, 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 you know, when you think back to that, you know, I'm horrified that that's what we thought. Um, you know, I remember people used to talk about Margaret Thatcher and how amazing she was because she only had four hours sleep a night. Um, and then, you know, obviously she passed away as a result of um, Alzheimer's disease. And you just wonder, don't you, about those two things or whether they were connected. Maybe they weren't, but you do wonder. So I think that sleep is a hot topic. And the reality is I haven't worked with an individual who doesn't actually have control over how much sleep they have. Not really. I mean, there are, there are exceptions to that in terms of how well people can get their sleeping pattern right. So if you're a shift worker and you do nights and days, like you work in the police and you do like four days, four nights, whatever that shift pattern might be, then obviously it's tricky to get a regular routine. I get that because that's just by default, you can't do much about that. And that might affect how well you can sleep. But in most people's cases, how much you can sleep is, is, is far more controllable than you make out. And it's largely a choice. Um, and um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna preach to you too much here because it's certainly something I still need to be working on myself. And in the worst case scenario for most people, the very least you have really significant influence over how much you can sleep. And yet we still mess it up quite badly. Um, and there are lots of other things that we don't control very well. So, for example, you know, do we, you know, organise ourselves very well with our kit? You know, one of the things is simple action that we have, the controllable action we often talk to athletes about if they don't do well with morning training is get your kit ready the night before. Again, it sounds really simple, but the amount of people that don't do that is, is quite remarkable, really. Um, reading your training plan before the week starts so you know what's coming or your sessions before they start. You know, not getting into the changing room before you swim and then reading through your session plan. You know, you can control that and yet people still do it. And there's so many things that controlling the controllables help support. It calms you down. It makes you feel um, less stressed and less anxious. Um, it helps you plan. Um, it helps you make more of the opportunities and act that you have and the actions that you're taking. So very simple concept, controlling the controllables, influencing the influenceables, and reviewing how well you do that is really important. So that's behavior number three. And the behavior number four is prioritization. And again, something that everybody thinks they're good at, because everyone thinks they're good at goal setting. Everybody thinks they're good at controlling the controllables and everything thinks they're good, everyone thinks they're good at prioritizing. And, um, and, and, and in my experience, they aren't. Um, uh, now I'm gonna chuck some out there and let's see whether Lids agrees with this. I actually think I'm really bloody good at prioritizing which which would sound ironic when i've just said that people think they're good at it and they're not and maybe i'm that person but i actually think i am quite good at this um i don't know whether i always was maybe i've learned to do it better um but i think i am am i good at prioritizing it's bloody annoying because you are <laughs> it's you really annoying <laughs> cool okay well i'm also really good at dele is delegating and we'll come on to why that's important so yeah yeah so, <laughs> aware of that <laughs> yeah which for lid is tricky because the only person she can delegate to at the moment is logan well i can't even do that Really? Well, no, not really, because he ignores you. And his skill set is limited to security, uh, ball chasing. So, um, but sometimes when there's someone at the door, he doesn't even come and do security. No, he doesn't does even he? do that. No, no, he, no, he determines whether they're enough of a threat to walk down the stairs. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, uh, someone should do like a little tally of how many times we talk about Logan on these podcasts. I mean, more people know about Logan than they know about AS, I think, half the time. Anyway, so prioritization. So, Prioritization is made up of a combination of things. So 
Tasks you have to do can fall into two categories or a combination of those categories. They can either be urgent or they can be important, okay? So if a task is both urgent and important, so it needs to be done well and it needs to be done in a timely manner, those are the tasks that you do. Those are the ones that you get on with at the earliest opportunity. Um, and you do yourself, okay? If a task is um, important but not urgent, those are the tasks that you delay. So those are the ones that you'll diarise to do at a future date. But obviously you need to keep monitoring those because of course at some point they will become urgent and important and they'll become dues. So if a task is important, sorry, sorry, is urgent but unimportant, so it needs doing in a timely manner, but isn't that important, then you delegate it. Okay, so good example again for the parents out there. Uh, you need to get the car washed. Uh, it is it could do with doing quite soon because it's a bit of a stake um, and you've got to go somewhere where people might judge you <laughs> about how dirty your car is and um, but you're not that first about how well it's done you know if there's a few little marks on the bumper or you know like a bit left on the wheels you, it's not the end of the world so that's when you pay your kids to do it don't you back in my day it was a pound I shouldn't imagine it's a pound anymore or in my dad's case getting his slippers was another one you know I could do with them now but it doesn't really matter you know it's a very complicated task, isn't it? You can't really judge, you can't really measure how well you go and get slippers. Um, my dad used to treat me with the old classic, I'll, I'll time, time you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll time you. Um, and he would just make up the time, but I'd go for it every time. Um, so the tasks that are, are, are urgent but not important, okay, you delegate, those are the ones that you delegate. Um, Lydia's now thinking about all the things I've given her to do and thinking, oh, what they weren't they weren't that important. I don't know why I bothered. <laughs> How quickly can you make scrambled eggs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's delegation. And then jobs that are neither urgent or important um, are the ones you dump. You don't leave them on your to-do list for an, in, in, uh, an indefinite amount of time. And if you if they've been on your to-do list for an, a long period of time, you probably need to decide at what point you do dump those because it's like, well, actually, you know, it, do they really matter at all? So let's just go through that again. So jobs that are urgent and important, they're due. Okay, jobs that are important but not urgent, they're delay. Jobs that are urgent but unimportant, they're delegate. And jobs that are neither, you dump. Okay, and you can put those into a matrix. Um, we put them in the show notes, but we don't have any, so you can't have that. But you can look that up on the internet. Just type in um, 4Ds of prioritisation, probably come up on Google. That's for Commitment Continuum and Controlling Controllables, actually, if you just Google them. So, however, in the passion fit world, old Lydia's quite, she's actually genuinely looking excited about this. I was about to say, you've missed, you've missed one. Would I have missed one? Well, no. No, I but... wouldn't. No. So, um, so, this is the really important one. Okay, this is the game changer. And you're going to laugh because you're going to be like, no, 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 no. But trust me, this really is the game changer. So, there's a fifth D which you won't find on the internet, and that is the diddlies, okay? You, what the hell are the diddlies? It's the diddly-doos, okay? The diddly-doos are the little jobs that you procrastinate over doing, and then they become big jobs, and they add up, and then you end up with this massive list of jobs to do, and you just feel overwhelmed. So for me, a diddly is a job that takes probably less than five minutes to do. And in my world, and it's a it's a it's a behavior trait that I've found is extremely effective. If a job takes less than five minutes and I think of it, I normally just do it then. Even if there's other things that I'm doing, if those things can be paused, I will pause them and go and do the diddly. So 
And what I found is I actually can incorporate these little diddlies into like just ongoing behaviors. So I'll give you an example of a weird one that I do. <laughs> um, is um, you like taking out the washing and hanging it up. Um, especially if it's a wash with loads of socks and underwear in. Is a, is a is a job that you just don't want to do, do you, right? So you just, you can easily procrastinate over doing it. Or folding the washing up, is it the dry washing up's another one. And what I do is, as I walk past the washing machine, I do part of that job. So I put all the washing in. And then the next time I walk past, I'll put the tablet and the colour catcher in. Um, and then the next time I walk past, I'll switch it on and, and so on. And then the reverse is true of taking it out. So I walk past and I'll take it all out, put it into a basket. And then the next time I walk past, what I'll do is I'll sort it. This sounds a bit mental, but it genuinely it works really well. I'll go like pile of socks, pile of underwear, pile of t-shirts. And the next time I walk past, I'll hang up the t-shirts and then so on. And honestly, seriously, you're probably all chuckling about this. It really does work very well. And it's, it's there's all kinds of little jobs that I would include into this category. And following this process is highly effective because I don't forget to do things, very rarely forget to do things, and I never feel that overwhelmed, and it doesn't really affect the other things I have to do, because they're such short tasks, you know, how often do you just sit and daydream in the middle of doing an important task for a couple of minutes, and sometimes you could just fill that with a little a little diddly, um, so, um, uh, you know, um, another one that Lauren gets quite frustrated about, but work, again, works really, really well, is that our van is about five years old, and when we take it to be serviced, they talk about how neat and tidy it always is. And one of the things I've always done is as I get out of the van, first, I always take the rubbish with me, right? So um, you're right, Lydia's the opposite. I think Lydia... Oh, no, there's never any rubbish in my car. My car is just well, rubbish. Yeah, 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 your car is just <laughs> rubbish. Well, you wouldn't notice the rubbish for the dirt in there. That's the problem. So, um, but, you know, Lauren's the same. If Lauren didn't have... If Lauren and I didn't share a van, it would, it would be... The, it would it would be the substitute bin, I think, if, if Lauren was in charge. But in my world, what you do is as you get out of the van, every time you get out, you take all the rubbish with you. And you if you need to, we, we've got like plastic mats in our van and, and seat covers, and you just give it a brush out. You just give it a brush out. And that and, and by doing that, instead of the, the, the van building up to being this really dirty mess, and then you've got this massive, arduous task of cleaning out, hoovering it out, it doesn't ever end up like that. Um, and you never really think about it. It's a big job. So again, some of you might be thinking, God, this guy's nuts. You know, but honestly, trust me, it really does work. And try it because you'd be surprised at how much impact it has. So the diddly-doos. The diddly-doos is the game changer. Okay. Go on and think about that and think about all the little things that you could do that might fall into that category. The other one I do is I wash up um, as we go. So I don't, I'm not a big fan of cooking. I'll be honest. Um... My cooking is pretty much limited to oven chips, spaghetti with cheese and sprinkles. Um, and that, that works. Spaghetti with cheese, maple syrup and sprinkles really works, right? If you haven't tried it, try it. Pretty amazing. Um, and uh, so anyway, I'm not a great cook, but Lydia likes to cook breakfast in the studio and Lauren cooks at home. But what I like to do is wash up as they go. <laughs> so it can be a bit of annoying for them because they do get in the way a bit. But again it reduces you having this big pile of washing up to do afterwards and you can chill and relax and enjoy your food. Um, so another one that uh, I find is a useful diddly. So there we go, the diddly do's So and prioritisation. So there you go. So you've got commitment, continuum, placement. You've got controlling the controllables and influencing the influenceables. And you've got prioritisation. Three other core behaviours. Now in passion fit, what we do 
is we develop these behaviours in individuals, but we actually review these regularly with our individuals to the point where we flipped it right around in that when we get to the right stage with coaches, we actually measure their accomplishment, their level of accomplishment and their progression through their journeys only based on the execution of these behaviours and maybe some other select behaviours too that they might have for themselves. For example, um, you know, in your case, Lidge, you do a lot of work around inner state control, don't you? Yeah, We I work do. on that quite a lot. Not so much now, but back in the day, we did a lot of reviewing of your ability man- to manage and deal with change. Yeah, change curve. Change curve analysis. But we don't do that so much now, do we? And so with Lydia, for example, at the end of each week, yes, we talk about her training, but she reviews her execution of those four behaviours. So the three we've talked about today and goal setting. And we talk about her level of accomplishment based on her ability to have executed those behaviours and not on what training session she smashed. So, you know, for example, one of the things that frustrates me massively, particularly when we pick up athletes that have been coached elsewhere is that they'll often measure a successful week based on a green, because I don't use training peaks, I use exhale, but green, training, my training peaks was green. I did all my sessions. Well, actually, not doing all your sessions might have been the accomplished choice. And what we talk to athletes about is how these behaviours can help support that kind of decision-making process. And we then actually get them to measure their level of accomplishment based on the execution of their behaviours and how that supports their training journey and their personal journey and their professional journey. And we use all kinds of ways of measuring it. Like you might, they might rag, them, rag status themselves, wear down the green on the behaviours. They might um, use a scale of 0 to 10. They might use a grading system. It's up to them. It doesn't really matter. Um, but um, that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah. So that's it with core behaviours. You've got your four core behaviours. We'll talk about coachability next time um, because it's really important. We've got two important coachability behaviours. But all of these things are the things that feed into our concept of high functioning and an individualised, accomplished journey. That's it for this week, isn't it? Perfecto, yeah. Perfecto. Okay, there we go. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that one. Any questions or comments, ping them our way. And um, do we need to ask people to like and subscribe? I don't Go know. Was that YouTube? Done it. <laughs> I've done that. I've done it. Okay. So uh, like, subscribe, share. That's like, the one. Is it like, subscribe, share? That's I think it. So. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, there you go, guys. Thanks very much, and we'll speak to you again soon.